We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brad, we're back. And we've got to continue to break down the Steelers-Rams game because we have learned more after watching more of the tape. We said we would get to the All-22. We promised and we delivered here on the In Snow Ball podcast, as we always do. And I'm excited because we get to talk a little bit more about the offensive side. And I feel like I've got a, a more robust understanding of kind of some of the good things that the Steelers did in this game and where some of the growth still can happen. Let's spend a little more time than we did yesterday on one Kenny Pickett. And what we kind of have learned and observed from his game after getting into the tape a little bit more. What were your thoughts on Kenny's performance? Yeah, you know, it's again the early play, maybe not inspiring. And then he he makes a bunch of big throws in the fourth quarter, had two big time throws for us in that fourth quarter alone. I think I come back to more so I just see him continue to get the ball out earlier and earlier in the route um, where he's trusting his guy is going to be in the right spot. You know, I think we saw a lot of throwing to an open receiver, not throwing to a spot and trusting his guy will be there. You know, had Jordan Addison a pit, I think had a lot of plays on tape where it looked as like a positive when he would bail out and, and make a play on the move, but he probably could have just thrown the ball and, and waited. And I think a lot of those back shoulders to George Pickens, a couple other throws throughout the game were anticipatory throws and just trusting the play, trusting the playmaker, I think is a good sign. Like he, he was confident in just knowing, throw the ball to a spot, trust it's going to work out. And, and it did many times. Yeah, he did seem to play that way at times, especially in the fourth quarter. Something about, I'm not one of those people that gets into the mystics of, oh, in the fourth quarter, like he's a totally different dude. But I mean, that has been the case. I'm not saying it's like just a, like some kind of, you know, genetic implantation where like if he just goes off in the fourth quarter and he just has like a, a governor on his abilities until the fourth quarter, like that doesn't make any sense to me. But it, for whatever reason, he has not, he plays differently in the fourth quarter when the chips are down. And I, I think yeah, that even goes to his, process like he just lets it rip a lot more in the fourth quarter and doesn't think too much and earlier in the game there's definitely some overthinking at times there was one play that was like the best example of this i've seen i haven't tweeted it out because when you do you always get like a million different fan interpretations of like what you see and so you have to like be careful what you tweet out sometimes but there's a play where and I asked a couple quarterback experts on this, like, T tell me if I'm wrong. And they were like, no, you're 100% right. Like, this doesn't make any sense. He has uh, trips to his right, and Warren is kind of in motion out there as well. So he's got four receivers to his right, one to his left, empty formation. He drops back to pass, and right away the Rams blow the coverage. Everybody goes to the flat. Jalen Warren's got like three guys on him, and, and Connor Hayward breaks into the middle of the field and just sits down wide open, right over the middle of the field. 
I mean, it's a first down. It's like a 15-yard gain. If he throws with anticipation as he sees this, because the linebacker is supposed to be that middle zone, uh, middle hook defender, he's kind of buzzing out into the flat. And then the the, the slot defender is also buzzing the flat. So they somehow screw up the miscommunication. Meanwhile, the corner is dropping back in his zone, and he's like, wait, am I supposed to have the flat? So all three defenders are kind of like, Trying to figure out who is the flat, which corners dropping, which which players dropping out into the their uh, their lower third, and uh, which player is supposed to have the middle zone. So they don't know, and like they're all mixed up. And Kenny sees this; he's looking right at it. The protection's good. He looks right at Connor Award in the middle of the field, just sitting there wide open. He doesn't throw the football. If you threw in the anticipation, it's a catch and run. It's a big play. It's 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 clear. Like they take advantage of a big defensive breakdown. If he throws it even late while Hayward's sitting there, the backside safety is coming over, but he's not close enough. He's not going to make the play. And so he's got exactly what you want from the concept. Where does he throw the ball? He comes off Hayward inexplicably, and he throws into the flat where Jalen Warren has everybody on the team around him. And Warren makes the catch and you know tries to do something and gets like two yards. And you know it's just like didn't make any sense from a process standpoint why he would pass up what was obviously the right read to go somewhere else. And then later in the game, you saw quick, decisive, like no doubt about it, throws under pressure, fearlessness, got hammered to make throws. And I'll talk about some of the specifics in that. I don't know how to really quantify the like totally different uh, kind of like versions of Kenny Pickett that you get throughout a game. It's still very unusual. I do think the young quarterbacks early in a game, you know, your back's not against the wall, throwing over the middle. I think there's still just some trepidation of like, maybe I'm not seeing something and I'm going to throw this ball to a guy that I think is open and some safety's going to crash down or someone's going to make a play. A linebacker is going to have better depth than I thought and, and make a play. Cause yeah, I like we talked about, there was some over the middle stuff, but a lot of it was, you know, throwing a slant with good, you know, good accuracy, leading a guy forward. But like how many plays do you remember of him attacking the middle of the field later on in the progression? That one being a good example. Like you said, he kind of flashed early, but still, you know, Hayward's not getting open 15 yards downfield all that quickly. There, there just isn't a lot of that on tape so far this year. Yeah, that's definitely a factor in all of this for sure. And then it, it, to go to kind of what I mean about in the fourth quarter, I, I will say this about him. He isn't getting to the point now where like early in the season where you were like, there's misses are so bad. Like guys are wide open. He's just missing them like badly, like he can't throw an accurate ball anymore. That isn't really the case. I mean, there's one or two of those again, you know, you see something a little bit off, but nothing, none of the gimmies, like he's not missing the gimmies like he once did. And so that is a pretty big difference, I would say, and something that should be reassuring. Like the floor, it doesn't feel like it's like, like out of the league type stuff, which the first couple of weeks of the season, obviously we had last year to go off of. So we weren't like thinking it was that way. But like the first couple of weeks of the season was like, whoa, this guy can't play at all. Like that's how bad it was. And now it's like, okay, now he's more back to where he was a little bit throughout last season where he was kind of a little bit hit or miss, but you saw the ability to create, you saw the gutsiness late, definitely can make tough throws. I think he has better arm strength than you think he does. Like then people thought he did in college, like all of those th- kind of things are there in his game. Um, and late in the game, you really saw this. There's a couple of plays. Um, Third down, uh, throw to Pickens down the seam uh, where um, the Rams blew the coverage. Uh, Pickett's back to pass. Aaron Donald's about to hit him. Actually, the heroic play by Isaac Ciamalo on this play. He comes off his block to come over because Donald, we were talking yesterday, he didn't have many matchups with Dan Moore. And that's true. I think it only matched up twice throughout the game. He just blows by Dan Moore like he's not even standing there and is probably going to strip sack any Pickett. Ciamalo comes up and picks him up at the last second, knocks Donald away just as he's reaching. 
uh, for Pickett. So it's kind of an epic moment in the game. Pretty cool. I tweeted it out uh, and and gave Siamalu his love, which he struggled in this game at times, but run blocking, help and bass protection. In terms of what he was capable of doing in matchups, I'd say did pretty well. But Pickett's about to throw there. Uh, hangs in there, throws one down the seam to Pickens. Yeah, he's open, but I still thought, you know, if you're in that pressure moment with pressure coming. And then the real play was late in the game. Uh, was that fourth was the uh, the third down before the fourth and inches. I didn't realize on that play live what happened in protection. I knew some things broke down in front of him, but I didn't realize that if he doesn't throw the ball on time exactly where he threw it, he's getting sacked there. And it's a it's a it's a pretty bad deal for them. I mean, the Rams are getting the ball back for sure. The fact that he throws it with the way he does with Robinson, what happens on the play is Dan Moore, who had a banner to last drive, let me tell you, stepped on Isaac Ciamalo's foot in pass protection. So he trips Ciamalo, who falls over, who knocks Moore over. So both of his left side linemen go down. And I'll tweet this play out later today, probably. Both of them go down. And so he's got pressure right at his face. He's about to throw the football. And Aaron Donald's one of them. And he rips it in there to Allen Robinson for a big gain. I think it was about nine yards and gave him, put him on fourth and inches, uh, which we've discussed that play. But that they don't have a shot without that play. And he just continued to stand in there kind of throughout the latter part of the game and make big-time throws. I mean, his placement on back shoulders were beautiful stuff every time it's like automatic at this point so he's finding some go-tos i think which is really helpful and there's no doubt like he's played with a lot of courage in the fourth quarters sure and, and i do think you know just standing in there and making those plays there was a couple plays and you mentioned aaron donald i think byron young had two or three pressures where i think early season kenny we could have seen him do his his patented spin move and just get out of there uh but he trusted the interior and stepped up and i think one of them i'm not even sure if he got like an accurate throw off but just don't take a sack and don't you know spin out of it and run around he had much more faith in that interior, stepping up um, and, and trusting that, you know, if Donald and Byron Young were behind him, he was probably in a decent spot. Um, but, yeah, there, I think even outside the fourth quarter, there was, I thought, better foot, uh, you know, better footwork, more confidence in the pocket, you know, not as choppy of feet, kind of more staying in rhythm, like going through and setting his shoulders cleanly as opposed to sometimes he gets a little frantic. I think we saw a lot less of that in this game. That is something to note in this game, just the Rams – defense i mean donald aside obviously the, the fact that they couldn't really get that much pressure with four in this game was something that was helpful it wasn't totally devoid of pressure but outside of donald it was kind of it, they definitely struggled to run uh to to be able to get pressure and i also say the run game like really watching the tape was obvious the steelers had such great surfaces to run the ball to and that showed up time and time again as they were trying to execute the run game it was like man if every team comes out in these five, six-man boxes and has one second-level defender. I mean, there was there was literally one linebacker on the field sometimes for the Rams, and they just give you these unbelievable surfaces to run to. And, I mean, the touchdown is almost a joke, the Jalen uh, Warren touchdown, where he, <laughs> you see the play. It's just so ridiculous. Uh, couple that with the fact that their defense linemen are not very good outside of Donald. And Kobe Turner's promising. But I mean, Jonah Williams had just an um, he, every single play he was getting turned around and pushed out of the path. I was like, what is this? Isn't even an NFL caliber play. Like, I, I haven't really watched him play. Maybe this was like the worst game of his life, but he was just getting, I mean, literally back to the ball like over and over and over again on reps. And I was like, this guy's getting killed out of here. So they were bodying people up. And I think some of that speaks to the mentality they came in the game with, and they deserve credit for that. Also, some of it speaks to the fact that this is a pretty talent devoid defense that's amazing that they've got this far uh, the Rams have and, and and done is what they have this season. But at the end of the day, that lack of talent, we laughed and joked at the beginning of the season, looking at that depth chart and saying, who are these guys? Like that's hard to overcome for a full season. Like you could scheme your way on a lot of different things, but it's hard to overcome for a full season. And just talent wise, 
whether it's a Kelly Witherspoon and Yasir Durant not being able to cover people, uh, whether it was the linebackers not being able to make all the plays they needed to in deep zone coverages and things like that, um, whether especially it was the defensive line, I felt like not being able to get pressure, not being able to hold the point of attack. They really got bodied. They got out-talented. And that really hasn't happened for the Steelers too much this season. Um, maybe you could say we were, or at least I was a little over the top about how talented they were. I didn't think they were like amazingly talented, but I did think they were more talented than some of the other teams they were going to be facing in the early part of the year. And that hasn't necessarily played out all the time like that. This, the talent advantage was, was very clear, which made Matt Canada look better. However, I do think Matt Canada deserves credit. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, but if you look at the run game down the stretch of the game, how many times did you see pullers? And yep. it shows like they're learning at least that this has to be a critical part of what they do as a run scheme and they're evolving as a run scheme. They could go back to doing none of this stuff next week and we're back to square one. But this is a couple times now where it's popped up where it seems like they are leaning into some of the things that work a little bit better for them as a from a run concept standpoint. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And when you talk about the talent disparity too, like this is a game where they probably could have won more just winning forward and not having, you know, pullers and doing different things. Uh, so why not do it against the teams where you are going to need that? Like, right. Like you can just, you mentioned the, the Warren touchdown. I think I touched on it yesterday. So Isaac Samalo, like you mentioned, I think it was Daywan Johnson. Maybe it was Jonah Williams. He throws him to the side. His back is to the ball. He takes one step and immediately is locked onto the linebacker and just doesn't let go. And it's a touchdown, but, but yeah, the, the polling and all that, you'd hope to see that against teams where you're going to need to kind of slow down those defensive line a little bit, even just a half step. So they can't just fire and and run blitz and do different things to just blow things up in the backfield. Um, they got to do more and more of that because this opponent it was the one so far this season. You probably didn't need to do it that much. Why not keep doing it? Yeah, it's the thing that they probably do better than even last year was. The thing they probably do better than anything else offensively. I'd say like if there was a staple of, I mean, again, it's not a staple because they don't do it enough. But when they do it, it's probably the thing that works the best for them, certainly in the run game, that, and I would say the back shoulders to pick. And if you're just saying like, what does this team continue to come back to? What is their, you know, I mean, nothing's on the lever, level of Mahomes to Kelsey, but things like that. Like, what are the things you can count on in crunch time to be able to go, to be able to be go-to plays for you, to be able to go to concepts. And I think, yeah, some of the trap stuff, even some of the counter stuff is definitely helpful. And like, look, it's probably been helpful that Pat Fryermuth has not been in there as a blocker in some of these situations. I do think he adds something as a receiver, and I do think there's something to be said for that. 
I would love to see them operate out of 12 a good bit more and have him play in like a pseudo receiver role. I would love to see him uh, basically be out of the box more often than not get a get, use him and kind of Allen Robinson's role a lot more. Um, those are kind of things I think the Steelers should be thinking about when he does come back from injury. But Darnell Washington had some pretty good blocks in this game in general, just has better physical tools. Like he fights harder. Like he's just, uh, he's kind of like the player that's built for it. He's not going to make every play. He's still a college player adjusting to the NFL, but he is definitely an upgrade for them in that way. Uh, which is helpful. Siamalu has been a huge upgrade for them in the run game, specifically when they've gotten things going. It's almost always been because they've gotten him going. And this was Mason Cole's best game as well. That, that'll be a big part of whether they have success in the run game. Um, and also, yeah, just calling plays and concepts like based on what the defense is doing that makes sense based on the alignment of the defenders. We just didn't see that early in the season. They were getting killed because of numbers like the offensive line sucks. That was rarely the issue in the run game. Most of the time, the issue was the fact that they had unblocked guys in the box, unaccounted for guys by the concept, by the scheme in the box that they couldn't get a hat on. Um, And so some of those things are showing up less and less, which encourages me that this run game can get better. It has certainly has the talent, I think, um, to be able to do that, even when Canada is disappointed. He's been typically a guy that can scheme it up in the run game. Like that's been the one thing, you know, so it hasn't always happened to Pittsburgh, but I'm hopeful it will this year. Yeah, the Darnell Washington point is a good one, too. I, I put a note down. There was one play where he, he took one quick jab as though he was going to go run a route. Um, and the, you've seen all these highlights. We show, see it every week. So the edge defender completely ignores him thinking he's about to go run a route. And then and then Washington throws a hard shoulder and kind of, I forget who it was, knocked him over. Like, Washington has to run some routes for, for defensive ends to keep falling for that. Or those guys are probably just going to assume, okay, he's about to chip me or throw a shoulder into my outside shoulder. Uh, you know, and help the tackle here. Like it was great because he got away with it. And in my mind, I was like, people are going to watch this on tape and be like, guys, ignore if Turnell Washington takes a jab as if he's running a route because he doesn't run routes. Uh, but it, it did work. He had a couple nice blocks, but that, that one kind of made me chuckle because I was like, I don't know how long he's going to get away with stuff like this. Yeah, it is a uh, it is going to be very telling about him. I feel like whether he can, I would just like to see him get a chance, like get targeted. Yeah. Like, yeah. He didn't much at Georgia, but when he did, he made impressive plays. Like he wasn't like a dud or just a, you know, easy catch guy. Like any, any after the catch too, like he's physical after the catch. Um, oh yeah. There's just no reason why that can't be a bigger part of their attack, especially when Fryer comes back, if they can get those guys on the field together and Hayward's very capable receiver as well. Some of the best hands on the team. And so there's things they can do, man. They can attack teams. They can use some of these guys more versatile fashion, uh, including Fryer I will say, Frymouth has to own being a better route runner if that's going to work. That could be the thing that ultimately holds it back is that he, uh, you know, in terms of the dynamics, abilities of, of the, some of the top route runners at his position in the NFL, um, he hasn't showed a mastery consistently of all the routes like that. Um, so there's room for him to grow, and he needs to to take that and respond to that. But certainly he needs to be a part of the equation moving forward, even despite his limitations, is how can you work around those limitations as a blocker um, and as an inline player and still get the most of of what he offers. Um, it's funny because he's kind of been the best Penn State blocker, I feel like, of the guys that have come out of there like at college, but it still hasn't worked at the NFL. <laughs> no, no, you're right. He probably is. I'm trying to think of all those recent guys. In the, I you guess, know, mid- yeah, maybe the new guy, the recent, the guy who was a pick this year. Who was his name? Uh, oh, uh, what's it called? Brenton Strange? Is that oh, right? Yeah, Strange, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Jaguars, yeah, yeah he's pretty solid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess they were saying he was still in preseason anyway. I don't know if he's known for that in college, but... Um, yeah, certainly better than Gasicki at this point, I think. <laughs> well, that's the lowest bar in the history of bars. <laughs> <laughs> that really is. All right. Anything else on the offense that you noted going back through it? No, I think we touched on a couple final notes I had on that side of the ball. 
Okay, sweet. Uh, defense. I want to have a TJ Watt conversation. What are your thoughts Good. on him watching this game? I think as a pass rusher, it was kind of one of the least productive games I've seen from him in a while. Like, I I just feel, and look, he was getting, obviously, um, you know, a lot of attention paid to him. But, you know, had the huge interception, made good plays here and there. I think he had four or five pressures per hour charting. But on a down-to-down basis, I don't think he was a huge factor, you know, in a, in a pretty good matchup against, I mean, Havenstein's fine, but he's not a great pass blocker. Yeah, maybe I jinxed this one by calling him the the. Well, I guess he did make the splash play play of the game. Yes, That's he did. Thing. Yes, he did. <laughs> it just was not. So I kind of got it right, but it was not as a rusher. So I don't. Maybe I didn't jinx him. I don't know. Um, but it was it was telling to me just that how many times are the Steelers going to do this? I think. Um, how long are they going to let this happen? It has gotten to the point where teams are putting a wide receiver with a reduced split out there consistently every week. Teams are doing this. A wide receiver with a reduced split out there. So, okay, he's going to line up outside of that guy. All right, if he lines up inside of that guy, that guy gives him a little push in his release. If he lines up outside of him, that guy just kind of releases into his path a little bit. Like, they're willing yeah. to sacrifice a receiver's release to keep Watt from, from making more of an impact on the play. So that takes another half second. Then you have a tight end that often, like, will release out and chip him. Or a back that will release out and just get in his way. Like, it's ba- he's barely making contact. He's not trying to actually block him. He's trying to get in his way. So Watt has to stop his feet and move laterally a direction. Like, that's all. They all just want to slow him down so he can't hit that corner at full speed because he's so deadly when he does it. By the time he engages the tackle, the guy's set up shop. Like, it's 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 so hard to win the rap. And you can't win the edge, basically, after this happens. So, yeah, can he convert speed to power? Well, your speed has been compromised because you're not allowed to just take off. You have to stop your feet, reroute. So you don't have the same velocity going into the block that you once did. You can't really drop from corner the same way that you once did on every single rep. Now, Watt has sacks on these kind of plays, too. So it's not like he's totally unproductive when this happens. It just is so much harder. And so his pressure numbers are down a lot this year. He's still converting to sacks at a crazy rate. He didn't have a sack in this game. Uh, only had a couple pressures. But it's very difficult for him because he's hardly getting any true one-on-ones. I don't know what you guys and some of the other sites count as true double teams. Like, that's not always happening either. Teams are realizing we don't have to actually commit two blockers. We can just, like, we don't have to actually put the tight end, have the tight end stay in and help us all the time. We can just put guys in his path and release guys into routes. This is only able to happen to the degree that it does against TJ Watt because he only plays on one side. He only plays left edge rusher and he always plays outside the last guy in the line of scrimmage pretty much so even in a run concept the early in the game the rams are extending the line of scrimmage they're putting him outside of cup who's like in a wing position basically and there's nobody in the b or the c gap for the steelers and so the rams are just running to that space because the steelers just will not move him they want to put him inside they want to do anything else with him like he will literally play outside the last guy in the line of scrimmage and they'll allow 10 yards every single run rather than change that or like put somebody else in there like i was literally watching i was like how do you not like I know you don't want to call time out at the beginning of the game, but there's nobody in the B or C guy. Daryl Henderson gets the end off. He's just like, well, I guess coming back to the NFL is easier than I thought it was going to be. He just like runs through for 10 yards. So there are like, I know TJ Watts said in interviews, he doesn't want to rush from another side. Like he likes rushing only on the left side. He feels comfortable there. Obviously the production speaks for itself. I'm not debating all of that. I just think you're making it way too easy for offenses to scheme how they're going to combat this guy by refusing to move him around. I think as a coaching staff, you have to kind of own it at some point and be like, look, I know this is uncomfortable for you, but we're going to get you good at it. And we're going to, it's going to make a difference for you. And I think he did switch spots with Isaac once or twice, maybe in this, but he really hasn't moved around all season and really throughout his career has not moved around hardly at all after his first year. 
I think like, like you said too, not even just left versus right, but also just has to be a wide nine every single snap or close to it. And I was wrong. I, he had two pressures and an 8% pass rush win rate for us, two out of 25 snaps, which for him, you know, is half of a good game for him. Yeah. Um, yeah you mentioned the run game. I, I think the thing too is, so I'll, I'll get data for next week for, we, we, we have chip help and doubles and all that stuff differentiated. Uh, I can't pull it right now. It's in one of our feeds, but um He's definitely up there. Guys are just diving at his knees, like table-topping him and stuff like that. But I think when you know exactly what he's trying to accomplish on almost every single set, my thing would be, okay, if you're not going to switch your your alignment, we've talked about developing a better inside counter. And, and I think, you know, that yeah. would be a way to mitigate that as well. I don't recall. I think maybe one player, I remember him making an inside move and swiping the tackles inside shoulder and getting across his face. But yeah, like it's just like obviously he is remarkable, elite, special at at one specific thing. But if teams know what you're gonna do most of the time, they they can work, especially the good offenses. You know that they can work around it. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think like it's just about making it harder to game plan for a guy that's that. He's not gonna like lose his powers if he rushes from the other side. Like, are his numbers going to be better somewhere else? Sure. But, like, imagine if he just gets one-on-ones all the time. Like, yeah. imagine if he's more comfortable going inside as a rusher, you know, on the other side. If he get to hit inside right. moves. He is literally winning from one alignment with one rush, like, right yeah. now. At an incredible rate. It's unbelievable what he's doing. But, like, he is playing on hard mode all the time rather than making – I mean, Alex Highsmith has a deeper bag than TJ Watt does. I don't know that that's – Super debatable. People may balk at that at first until they understand what I'm saying. But like Highsmith is going to be more ways. Like TJ Watt doesn't use that inside spin hardly ever. He doesn't counter inside hardly ever. He doesn't convert speed to power like Highsmith has. He can do those things. At some points, we've seen him do those things in his career. He's actually become more siloed to one rush move throughout his career than I think I've ever seen a player like that's had success. He is now really winning traditionally in one way as a pass rusher as an outside edge rusher with that rip move. And so it's becoming increasingly harder to say that like what could be the best defensive player in the league. He's tier one right now playing the way that he is like on, like imagine if you could push him as a coaching staff to expand some of this, this guy is an unbelievable athlete. <laughs> Couldn't you put that to use more than just having him drop in coverage and rush off the left side? Could you have him line up over the A gap and move him around? I'm not talking all the time, five snaps a game this season. This was this past game was his first time playing on the right side at all. Three snaps wow. as a right outside linebacker in this past game. First time playing anywhere other than that left edge defender spot outside the last guy in the last scrimmage. That's pretty crazy. He has like two snaps, I think, off the ball where he's kind of they moving around. He's been off the ball, but or three snaps, I guess, this year. So basically nothing else for a team to prepare for. I just think even if it's five snaps a game here, five snaps a game here. You have to give teams more to prepare for. You're seeing it with Miles Garrett. You're seeing it all the time with Micah Parsons, right? People say Parsons is the best pure individual one-on-one pass rusher in the league. That might be true and probably is true just because of his athleticism. It is under-discussed that nobody is has their production schemed better for them than Parsons. Now, does he take advantage of every matchup in every situation? Absolutely. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I'm just saying like he would still be a really good player if he just played one spot, similar to how Watt is. The fact that he moves all over the place and you're running a million games and he's your hit guy basically off those is like a cheat code. It's like unbelievable. They're make they're taking an elite player who could win no matter what situation you put him in probably, and you're having him play on easy mode because of the scheme. So you're doubling whatever could be done there. And that's what I'm saying with what Can you do that? Yeah, he's a great player and the production speaks for stuff where he is. Imagine if you optimally pushed him to play in more spots. And I'm not blaming the staff because I think they're doing what he 
has wanted over the years. I do think, though, as more of these schemes, Brandon Thorne and I were just talking about, as more of these schemes come up, he made a good point that Watts played against a lot of these Shanahan-style coaching trees in Cleveland and in Houston, like so a lot of these places where they're kind of expanding the pocket and trying to push edge rushers wide and get them up the field and giving the quarterbacks big B-gaps basically to step into to be able to make plays and big pockets to navigate. Like, that is the kind of stuff where I wonder when I see that kind of stuff, I'm like, man, they got to have a counter move. Like, what's the counter move? Where can you move this guy around? Like, Nick Bosa's playing both sides too, you know? Like, Max Crosby's playing both sides. Got to find a way to get TJ Watt the same kind of looks that those other guys do, even if he is uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I was going to mention Bosa, who obviously didn't do much last night against Minnesota. But like, for example, he'll play out of 50 snaps. He'll play 40 on on his usual side, but he'll play 10 or 15. uh, And it it does add an element and and change things up. Like what? I guess like the sports analogy I could make is like this season so far, he let's say it's the all-star break. He has like 35 homers, but he's hitting like 210. Like like there's just not like a down to down, you know, impact as much as just like a ton of splash plays. Yeah. And again, like you said, he's doing, you know, he's incredible what he's asked to do, but I think he is capable of doing more um, and moving around. And it would just change things and change the complexion of his defense too, because, you know, like if a team did want to still continue to chip him and, 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 you know, shift towards him and stuff like that, if they know they can shift and, and chip on one side of the offensive line every single time, it's just easier, right? It's just like right. it makes things a whole lot easier for everybody. So, yeah, it is interesting. Maybe maybe we'll see some more of it. Um, I want to touch on Nick Herbig a little bit, who's like my guy right now. Uh, I thought he was awesome in this game. But, but yeah, Watt, Watt's got to be a little bit more diverse. The last thing I want to say on that, oh, Nick Bosa, by the way, 49 snaps on the left side last night, uh, or, or 50, sorry, and 14 on the right side. So that's all yeah. I'm talking about. You can play right. most of your snaps on the left side still if you want to as TJ Watt. But then I, the game before – uh, 19 on the right side, 48 on the left side. Um, week one, 21 on the right side, 13, 14 on the left side. So he flipped it up. Uh, 39 uh, in week two, 39 on the left side, 22 on the right side. So again, just like you cannot prepare for a guy as easily every single play if you don't know where he's going to be all the time. And so things like that are helpful. You mentioned Herbig. I definitely want to get to him. Last thing I'll say about Watt is going off of your point. I do think you're right. He, like he also needs to be pushed to develop a counter move. If you're going to stay on the left side and you only want to play there and you've put your foot down about it and you've kind of drawn that line in the sand and said, look, I'm just not comfortable playing the other side and you're the franchise player. That's what you want to do. Okay, cool. Like I get it. He needs to be pushed then to develop another move. Like he needs to be pushed to take advantage of some of these opportunities. And I know it sounds like this is like, what are you guys talking about? Like TJ Watt, like he just had the play of the year on this interception. You guys are being so hard on him. Look, he is an elite player. He is a tier one defensive player in today's league. I've said before, I think there's six or seven of these guys. That's it. He's one of those players, no question. I'm just saying he can have more impact for you if he improves a couple of things in his game. The fact that he's in this conversation playing as siloed as he does right. is absolutely bonkers. And we haven't talked about the fact he's an unbelievable run defender. That's certainly true. Um, but yeah, again, because of these things, and again, that would switching him sides as a run defender would help too. Like that would be a factor. You see, when teams run this side, they're caught like it's constantly like, how can they widen him out from the formation and run inside of him? Like, how can they just put bodies in his path and run outside of him? So you make all those things more complicated when you move around. But if you can have a counter move in the quiver, that opens things up for you. He, I know he can do it. He just doesn't right now. And I think he needs to be pushed to say, hey, look, all these guys are oversetting on you because they're ready for you to go yep. speed to power or speed rip on the edge. And you can surprise guys and get a lot of sacks if you start doing that high Smith spin move or start forklifting a guy and swimming back inside, things like that. So 
I want to see that arrow added to his quiver. If he does that, I mean, I, I really think like we're talking about player one defensively overall right now, that's a conversation he's certainly a part of, but again, it's just about, can you be not just great, but can you be the best? Like that's what we're looking for here when we make these suggestions. Yeah. And the thing is, the more you do that, then it more, it becomes easy to do the thing that you obviously, you know, your current one trick, not to say he's a one trick pony, but like the more you do other things, the more it frees up what you love to do the most. Um, and just, yeah, benefits you in all, in all areas. For sure. All right, Herbig, what do you want to say about your boy? He did well my in this guy. game. My guy. Yeah, I do. So he had a, a, a jump club rip uh, pressure on Alaric Jackson. Just absolutely beautiful hand movement. Timed the, the, the swipe with his his jump so well on the right edge. Uh, it was a beautiful pressure. And then on his sack also, he just dipped the inside shoulder and had crazy bend. But we were just talking about playing on both sides. Both of those pressures came from the right side. And I think so far this season that I recall anecdotally, he's kind of been filling in for TJ Watt when he's going out and going on that left side. So he's been winning from both alignments on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But yeah, both of his pressures are just beautiful. They're not, they're just a guy winning a one-on-one rep cleanly, efficiently. He flattens his path to the quarterback so well. He does get around the tackle. You know, again, he might be a rotational guy for the next year, maybe two, three, whatever. Um, but I like Marcus Golden. He's been a good veteran for a very long time. Like Herbig's going to play more and more. I mean, these pressures were both just gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. He has kind of the rare ability to rush with speed and bend. Like he definitely has that, like to turn a corner like that, to me, that's like, if you're looking for tier for traits in a edge rusher, that is like the tier one trait, right? Can you rush with speed and bend? If you can do that, it opens up everything else. Some guys never get there and they're just speed bend rushers and that's all that they ever are. And they never become more than that. And people could probably think of some of those types of players, um, even that have played in the NFL over the years. I just think it opens up the door for you to be kind of everything as a rusher. Because if you can threaten on the outside hip, all of a sudden, you can, can you mix in power? Can you mix in inside counters? You've opened up space for inside counters. Can you be a speed spin, a speed counter type of rusher? So it just uh, it kind of gives you the whole bag to be able to operate from if you can get there technically. But athletically, physically, like to have that in your quiver, it really makes things difficult. And he is clearly that type of player with his speed off the edge and his ability to bend in corner. You have to think the best football is still out in front of him. He's smaller. How do teams you know handle him in the run game? Can he ever be a full-time player? The discussion Ollie Connolly and I were having on uh, my Audibles and Analytics podcast on my Substack uh, the other day was: Are these types of edge rushers kind of becoming more in vogue again? Where like the uh, Ollie calls them swoopers, and I absolutely love the term. I think yeah. you know, it's made up. Um, shout out to 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 the UK. Uh, I think that he makes up some of these terms, and they're like perfect descriptions uh, of what we're seeing on the football field. But that's exactly right. These types of guys that are primarily speed edge rushers. But have in the case of like a Bryce Huff, like extended their game to more things. So Bryce Huff would be one of these guys. Um, Byron Young with the Rams would be one of these guys. Um, Herbig would be one of these guys. Um, I'm probably forgetting others uh, that are kind of Josh in that, Uchi um, in, in that New England, maybe. rushers. Yeah, yeah Josh Uche is a great yeah. example of that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You have smaller, undersized guys who can rush with speed bend and are just athletically too tough, um, but not yeah. physically so insignificant that they can't handle any type of physicality either. That was what was killing some of these guys for a while. It's like, oh, they just can't hang. Like the tackles are so big and long. Yeah, exactly. And now you're, you're getting this type where, yeah, they're small and they're compact, but they're compact. Like they, they're, they're packed Mm -hmm, with muscle. mm -hmm. They're not like too Mm -hmm. thin. Um, They're not like too light. Um, They're not like just Gumby guys. Like they're guys who have literally low center of gravities um, in their build makes them hard to hit. Like the tackles are bigger and longer now than they used to be. 
it's harder to adjust to like a different body type off the edge as a rusher. That's that significantly different. So will Herbig ever be a full-time player? I don't know. I just named a bunch of guys that are really good players in the NFL that I don't know if any of them will be full-time players never in their careers, but they will be valuable eight sack guys a year that every team in the league wants to have off their bench as a third rusher. And if Herbie can be that on a rookie contract, and then we'll see after that, Bryce Hoff's probably going to set, I would imagine you know that, but like he might set the market for some of these types of players and what he can look for. Maybe he's the high end of that type of player with him getting more snaps. This season, but yeah, that's a fascinating development to me in Pittsburgh to get a quality third edge rusher there that can be a real threat in late game situations. Yeah, and I think you even are seeing like I don't want to put him in this box, but like Will McDonald was a first round pick, and like he's probably on the higher again, higher, higher, higher end. But his game right now to me is basically that he's a lot springier. He has a great spin move, great inside moves, but like he's an undersized guy that has you know great lower body strength, and so he can get low to the ground, do all those things. But like I don't view him right now, again right now, you know, as like a true three down player, you know, in, in the NFL at least as of today. Um, yeah, like that, that, that you're right. It, it kind of went out of style and I think it is coming back when I mean, Baron Browning getting converted to that type of player in oh, Denver. That's like, another one. We, yeah. Like we can name players all day long and, and it's, yeah. So yeah, who knows, but it's really just to spell those guys. Cause we, I think I talked about this before the season, or maybe in an article, like Alex Highsmith is playing like 900 plus snaps the last couple of years. Like it's not sustainable. Like right. you're going to get in these fourth quarters. Look, this team's going to play in a whole lot of close games. We know that. Him <laughs> him playing 10 fewer snaps a game because you can trust Herbig on a bunch of third downs earlier on, it makes a huge difference for everybody. It does, no doubt. Her, Highsmith, 53 snaps in this game. Uh, Watt, 57 snaps. And as you mentioned, Golden played uh, 14 snaps in this game. Herbig, 12. And so they're kind of getting there um, with some of those things. But yeah, it would be nice to see them. Uh, play more snaps in these games. Both those guys look like they still have uh, – her golden at least looks like he still has it in terms of juice as a rusher a little bit. He's never been the most dynamic guy, but absolutely speed to power. If you're talking about that kind of a player, he can he can play that way for sure despite his lack of – he doesn't have the athleticism of the other guys. Let's put it that way for sure. Um, okay, great points on Herbing and just in general because I think that that is going to be a, one of the most important roles eventually on this team. And, man, it just makes you – like if Cam Hayward can get back and they can keep this front healthy – like it just makes such a big difference because all of a sudden now Ogan Joby doesn't have to play 49 snaps a game. And frankly, he's just not, I don't want to say he's in bad shape or anything like that. He's just not ever been consistent enough as a player. Like when you have some of these guys who are like more like flashy players, if you can keep them fresh all the time, like there's plays where Ogan Joby just like isn't a participant. I'm not going to say it's an effort thing. I just like, he just gets he just gets steamrolled. Like there's a play like, but then if you keep everybody, keep him fresher, he's way more effective. And so just having Hayward back in the fold for that, I think would be huge. Uh, Benton uh, playing more snaps as the season progresses. Leal, I think now that he's healthy again, I, I actually think he's played pretty well this season. Um, had a couple of pressures in this game as well. Yeah. Monty Adams gets better every week in his role. Like he's not much of a rusher, but he gets better in his role in early downs. If he can take some of the snaps away, keep these guys fresher early down. So there's just a lot to like about the front, but I think getting Herbig more involved and getting Benton more snaps and getting Hayward back, if they can just lean into that, I really think this could be like in the conversation for the best front in football. I, I honestly think it's that good of a group, but they really need to lean much more to their top guys, which brings us to the Benton conversation how, Brad, how does ben, Keanu Benton play 19 snaps in this game? I, As a guy who can play every spot on the D-line, I don't quite understand that. Like, what is it about that's that's so compelling that you would want to play Larry Ogunjobi 49 snaps to Benton's 19? Like, 
Is he 30 snaps better than Keanu Benton? That's that's crazy to me. Monty Adams is playing 46. He's basically the same thing. Like you'd rather have those guys than Benton, really. Like that just I don't know. That makes no sense to me. That's funny. I thought you were going to mention Leal, and I was, you know, because I think he even played like around the same amount. And I actually thought he did had a pretty good game. Um, you know, I, I've always been interested in him. He lined up as like, uh, you know, a five tech. I think he was even stand up at one point and had a pressure where he had a game with TJ Watt or uh, Alex Highsmith on the right side. And it did some cool things there. But yeah, it was weird because Benton, I think with him is like, I also think he's shown a legit ability on all three downs. He had pursuit pressures, pursuit tackles. Like he does not give up on a play until the snap or until the whistle's blown, like ever. Like you do so like that type of guy, that type of rookie, I just don't see why you wouldn't continue to push that into the you know mid-30s and bring Ogan Joby down to the mid-30s as well. Maybe he got dinged up or something because I thought he played well in this game yet again. Um, he had two pressures where they were late in the shot clock, but it was only because he just refused to stop. He had a nice tackle on Stafford where he kind of engaged the offensive lineman, and he—you could tell he was gonna try to make a, like a pass rush move, and instead just stacked, knowing Stafford was about to leak, and then shedded and, and made the tackle. I don't know if it was a sack, but probably just like a you know one yard gain. I don't know. It, I, I I almost have to wonder if he got dinged up or something because it does it did not make a whole lot of sense. I mean, he's been very very good in everything they've asked of him, and like you said, one tech, three tech, zero, four eye. Like he's he's been all over both sides of the line of scrimmage. Like he's in a different spot every snap, and, and he's been productive no matter what. It is. I was looking to see if Tomlin made a comment today about it. He did not about Benton. Uh, I don't believe he was asked about Benton's. At least it hasn't been tweeted if he was asked about um, Benton's like availability in the game or anything like that. I don't think he uh, has. Yeah, has mentioned that or said that. Um, so yeah, not seeing anything like that. Um, that will be interesting to know if that is an issue as they practice reports come out. I think t- tomorrow probably for the first injury report uh, for them to see if there was something in there, but that really is puzzling to me because he had been playing more too. And his tape had been just increasingly better, you know, uh, 33 snaps the game before that. I mean, it was before the bye week 29 before that, this is the least he's played in the game this season. That is bizarre. I don't understand. Like, and 10 pass rushes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like he's, he had three pressures on 10 pass. I was going to (laughs) say, yes, yes. And one, he had a great, Great, uh, like hand usage. It, it was again. I think it was. I don't think it was a game. I think the offensive lineman like passed off. I, I'm t- saying this horribly, but anyway, um, I mean, he just swimmed through a guy to the inside and just, I mean, just pushed him aside. Um, yeah. you know, again, I think you're seeing more and more technical ability with him too. We talked about it. that was my one concern with him coming into the year, and I think you're better and better. Like different ideas, different approaches, different moves, not just relying on his on his you know physical gifts, which I actually wanted to point out with Leal as well. I think he kind of got lazy and fell in the draft after being a, like a yeah. you know mocked as like a top ten pick type guy because he just relied on athleticism in both of his pressures in this game. I think you saw very sound hand usage, patient. As soon as the the, the offensive line punched, he had an immediate counter, like some stuff that I just don't think you've really seen from him. Um, and I just I liked how he lined up in a bunch of different spots uh, and was productive as well. Yeah, no doubt. Not the best game for the linebackers. I did think that that the fact that the Steelers were lined up wrong a bunch of times, um, I don't know who's to blame for that, but I don't even think the personnel were on the field to be able to handle what the Rams were doing. It didn't make any sense how they were lined up to start the game. They kind of got gashed by the run for the first two drives of the Rams, and then they settled in after that um, and were fine. Um, it does tend to go that way. I think I tweeted that during the game, and actually they did fix it during the game, which was good, and the Rams kind of didn't 
lean into that. I don't think the Rams went in thinking they were going to run the ball a bunch of times. Probably that probably given the fact they were down like every running back on their team. And so, yeah, but it could not have been easier sliding for those backs to begin the game. Like there was just, they weren't even touched uh, through the first, second levels of defense. A lot of times again, because the Steelers were just straight up lined up wrong. Like they just didn't have gaps uh, occupied at all. So yeah, some of it does go back to coaching. It is concerning. I've talked about this for years with the Steelers. They will come out in games and they will just not be lined up correctly against certain formations. And they will take very long, sometimes never um, to overcorrect that. I think of so many games over the years and Steelers fans probably can too. We're like, this was a decent run defense all season. And then they just literally couldn't stop anybody the entire game. Like it's happening against the Ravens, happening against the Dolphins years ago, happens against the Vikings a couple of years ago. Like it was just like, yeah, you can't stop it because you don't have anybody assigned to the gap that they continue to run to and they know it. And that's kind of what happened at the beginning of this game as well. So some of that lack of attention to detail uh, to me is always a little bit startling when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, but the talent did win out. I feel like eventually this was the most curious part of this game was the Rams not being able to do stuff at the end of it. Uh, When it felt like, okay, pass obvious situation, they're going to be able to find some guys in this play. Did you see anything in that portion of the game that made you think, Oh, like the Steelers changed something up or did something better. Like I know James Pierre played a little bit, uh, make if it's Patrick manned up a corner on the outside on a couple of these reps, like two, two at well, that was interesting. Uh, Stafford maybe had a throw or two here or there, but overall I did think they defended pretty well, though Porter and Minko are pretty big part of that, I would say, but yeah, they have some clear weak spots defensively, and I think Levi Wallace playing less, although not being totally off the field, was a factor in all those situations too. I, the funniest thing to me was look at the first drive of the game. DeMonte Kazee basically tells the the offense, I'm bracketing Cooper Cup, and I dare you to throw a slant to him. And they yeah. do it twice. And the second time, like, Cup hears footsteps and like probably should have caught the ball. He but dropped Kazee, it both like, times, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But the second time, like, because he, I think he almost, like, points at him. He's like, I'm going to come, and if you catch this ball, I'm going to take your head off. It was hilarious. <laughs> like, it was, he was just obviously over the top and going to crash on a slant. Um, Yeah, that, that, that stuck out to me for sure. The Mika stuff out wide as well was interesting. I mean, he can do whatever you ask of him. I, I don't blame him. But, yeah, I mean, Joey Porter Jr. continues to play good ball. Good to see him play, you know, 50-plus snaps. You know, zero receptions a lot on three targets. I think one – I tweeted that out and I had commenters say he may have like thought he may have passed off an assignment on a slant that he probably should have trailed with him. And, and so we, we didn't credit that to him and maybe it was his fault, but, but nevertheless, like he's physical, man. When, when, when he jabs the line and, and like you see corners in today's game that kind of like, you know, they'll take a jolt and they'll blow back a little bit or they'll get out of there. You know, their, their back pedal will get shifted. Like he, he he's a big dude. We know that already. He he's, He's sturdy and stable, and, and I think when you're going to use him the way you do, um, it's meaningful and it matters. But, yeah, I, I enjoy watching him play. There are little technical things and stuff like that. Um, you know, laterally, I think at times laterally, I think you can against a good receiver. They can shake him up a little bit, but but straight line right now, and when he's up up in press, like I, he's playing really good ball. Minka's deployment this season in general has been just kind of fascinating to see, like – Obviously, he was mostly a free safety early on in Pittsburgh, and even at times of the season, you know, has played most of his snaps free safety. Week before the bye, he was 39 snaps in the slot, 22 at free safety, five in the box. This week, he was 34 in the box and 19 at free safety, 14 in the slot. So clearly, they want to keep people guessing. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the proper deployment. I mean, he, like you said, he can do everything. People forget Minka Fitzpatrick was an outside corner at Alabama yeah. his first year there. Like he was not a safety. He was not a slot. He was an outside corner. 
And then he really became kind of a slot or safety and that type of player. And then in Miami, he was pretty much just a slot. And I believe was he all pro as a rookie or first team or pro bowl or something like that as a rookie. I forget. Pro but, bowl. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't, but he didn't like what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't like what he's doing. Uh, got out of there. Now he moves all around the defense uh, for Pittsburgh, which I think is what he ultimately wanted to be doing um, after being just a free safety. So just a very weird career. Arc. We really don't see too many players do that many different types of things um, over their kind of formative years as a football player. Um, obviously he's talented enough to be able to do it, but there really does become the question of what's the best usage for him, especially because he's barely touched the football this season. He's one pass breakup. He's not really been beaten for hardly anything down the field, like in terms of big plays or anything like that this year. It's really just a matter of teams just avoiding him, which it has been over the years. And there's so many other places to pick on this defense um, that there's lots of options for other teams really. So I am fascinated to see how that plays out if they don't add any other talent to this group. I am really stuck on what they should do at corner because I just don't really know that there's a good answer outside of making a move outside the organization. I think they need to do that. You and I have talked about some of the options, whether it's Christian Fulton or Jalen Johnson, who it sounds like is maybe maybe getting closer with the Bears on a contract extension. It was yeah, I don't I don't think Jalen I don't know if he's going to get extended like right now, but I I don't think he's getting yeah. traded in the next week. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Playing pretty well for a young corner on a team in Streetville. That's the kind of piece you should want to be paying, I would think. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those, all those kind of pieces would make a difference in Pittsburgh potentially. Um, but you can't give up too much when you're a team that, I mean, no matter what you think of the Steelers, I don't think they're ready to contend this year. Um, so it's just kind of weighing all of those risks, I guess, uh, with what you're going to be getting back in a potential trade. Johnson would be one where I would be okay because of his age uh, of giving up something a little bit better. But it doesn't look like that's going to be in the cards. So how does this team get better at corner? It's like a true mystery to me that I don't think there is a really good solution for on the roster, which frustrates me as someone who always wants to suggest changes that should be coming to this roster. I'll give you a name. You probably wouldn't even call him a corner anymore, but I think he would definitely help in the slot. He can play strong safety. He has played outside corner. I don't think he wants to be on the team he's currently on right now. Jalen Mills in New England, again, it's not, we're not saying this is some massive upgrade, but definitely a he's Steelers a super, personality. <laughs> he definitely has a Steelers personality. You got to dye the hair from green to yellow or whatever he wants to do there. Yeah. But, uh, but no, like super versatile defensive back can do a lot of different things because you mentioned, like, I, I don't know if I want Minka. I mean, it's pretty funny. There were snaps last year where when Minka was back deep in, in single high, the, whatever side of the field he shaded towards, the quarterback just didn't look that, like, just like, all right. That half of the field is not part of my thought process. I'll just look at the other half. Like, that's how much of a factor Minka was. And obviously that's good. But, you know, you mentioned the lack of plays yet on the ball. But I think it would come. Um, I just – I like him down there the line of scrimmage more in the slot and doing different things like that. I think it has made a difference, even if it's not in the box score yet. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll throw that name in the mix. Um, you know, he, not having the best year of his career right now. But he's a solid coverage player. He, he throws his body around as a run defender. I think more so than what we've seen so far this season from Shannon Sullivan and some other guys they play in the slot, you know, super cheap, all those things, veteran, I think pretty smart guys. So yeah, let's, let's throw Jalen Mills in our, our trade, uh, trade rumors uh, conversation. Yeah. I I mean, Hey, what the heck? Why not? I mean, again, the price is going to be cheap, right? If you're trading. Oh, it's like, it's yeah, be, swap of sevens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of a deal. You know, he's played. 53 snaps in the slot this season and 11 outside a corner, but he's been a full-time corner before. Like there's a lot of different things he could potentially do for you. As you mentioned, he's really kind of another one of these Jack of all trades types yeah. of safety slash DBs. Um, yeah. It's hard. Like maybe he's an upgrade. 
maybe not. Like, it's yeah, no, do. I think it just it just adds another piece. I, I don't. Yeah. I I think he would be. I think he would he be. Probably as would be because the the bar is so low. Like, correct, correct. The bar's so, low. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just hard. Like, there is just such a ceiling on what you can do defensively when you cannot cover when you don't have any speed on the field like there's just i'm not even totally blaming pat p for some of the stuff or, or walls to be honest like how many times was there just like a horizontal breaking route it just can't run across the field with somebody like they just do yeah. not have that level of athleticism it's not like i mean their techniques and mental mistakes have frustrated me this season for sure but like it really just has come down to physical and athletic ability they just do not have it to be able to play this position at, in the nfl and when you don't have that at five of your six DB spots every time you're out, like when you're talking about the nickel and you're talking about the strong safety and you're talking about the free safety, like make is the only guy who has that. And then Joey Porter jr. If he's getting out. Right. There. Right. But Neil KZ, I mean, both of these, we were talking about Neil KZ, Wallace, uh, Peterson, all Sullivan, even all subpar athletes for their position in the NFL at this point, Peterson, obviously his prime was an elite athlete, but he's clearly not that anymore. He has no wheels at all anymore. So yep. it's just very difficult. Like, you know, at some point you just don't have any real good, solution for those guys um and and what to do with them and it's so much to replace that you wonder if you're even going to get there this year like if it's possible to get there this year to remake enough of it because i don't see any of them playing better like at their age kz neil and peterson aren't going to get better you could probably put sullivan in that group as well um he's never been like a higher watermark for any of those guys except for i mean neil and peterson obviously but injuries and age have totally depleted that um and then for Wallace, he's never, you know, there's never been that a higher mark either for him really in his career to go back to. And you, I mean, higher than this for sure, but never a time where like he was like, oh, this guy's legit. Like I, we need to play him. Um, so yeah, it, that's that's the area of the defense where even the team, honestly, like, as much as we talk about the offense being a problem, that's the area of the team that I just cannot find a remedy for right now. And I hope they make a move at the deadline to try something. You know, I wouldn't get something for a bad player, obviously, but some of the names we've discussed maybe, but if they don't, what happens here? Because clearly Levi Wallace is falling out of favor to some degree here, which I mean, at some point you just, you cannot justify playing the guy. Um, so Porter, I do expect to start next game in base, probably yeah. with Peterson and then Peterson will play inside. And who comes in at the other cornerback spot on the outside is James Pierre going to do that. Like I, we haven't seen a lot of James Pierre over the last couple of years. The Steelers have hung on to him when he did play a couple of years ago. It was not bad. He can't run either. So that doesn't really fix that problem. It's just, ugh. this is why you don't build a secondary out of four, six, 40 corners. Like it just, it doesn't work. I think they'll be open to, I mean, obviously the William Jackson move happens last year. Obviously it wasn't yeah. the greatest, you know, result there, but they clearly knew they needed to do more and, and add a piece there. A guy that can, can play man coverage. I think, you know, fit with what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think they could be open to doing something. Like you said, are they contending? No, but like they're four and two and, if you do, you know, plug the, the the clearly obvious hole in the defense and make it go from a you know very good already so far to like great, you know, top unit in the league just by making a cheap addition at DB, um, yeah, I, I, we should keep an eye on it. I, I think maybe it's something they consider doing. Yeah, it'll be kind of the the exciting thing to watch. I don't think a move in another position is likely for the Steelers, but corner could be one where it's just been so bad. I to me, they are the worst corner tandem in the league, uh, Wallace and Peterson, and so. We'll see what Peterson does here. It was worth noting he moved all, all around the field in this game. It was the most we've seen in terms of versatility from him. It didn't really add anything, and I thought he was still very bad. But the Rams being 11 uh, throughout almost all the game means that there were five DBs on the field at least uh, at pretty much all times um, for the Steelers in this game. And if you look at Patrick Peterson's distribution in this game, 
He had 30 snaps at outside corner, 29 in the slot. He was a free safety for three snaps, and he was the box safety uh, for five snaps as well. So he did move around. They're trying to kind of mix it up a little bit and put him in situations where maybe he can't isn't going to be asked to play as much man coverage. But if that's the case, then you're going to have Levi Wallace outside the majority of the time. And James Pierre played two snaps in this game. And I don't know whether we can expect to see more of him so far this season. Two snaps really isn't enough of an indicator to me. I know some others have speculated that that's the, you know, the changing of the guard is coming. Um, he was in on the final two defensive plays. Um, so if Pierre does play one of those was a nickel one and dime, um, it, it seems like if he does play more, it probably will come with Wallace taking a role on the bench, but I'd be willing to try it, but I've watched Peterson or I've watched Pierre in it during his career. And I've never found him to be a player that had like significant upside, but neither does well. So I would be willing to try something different at this point. If for nothing else, the teams don't have the tape, the, the, the jury's not out. Your wall's got away for a couple of years in the league without teams really not attack him. And now they do it and it's game over. So maybe you could survive that way a little bit with Pierre at the other corner spot. Maybe, maybe. Obviously, there's some tape there, too, in Pittsburgh specifically. But, yeah, why, why not? <laughs> Any other thing defensively to touch on in this game? Um, I, I think we did a good job, though. I definitely wanted to highlight the defensive line. I agree with the linebackers. It wasn't their best showing. But that's also like the Rams are going to put that position in conflict yeah. more than any other team in the league. I actually think Alandon Roberts made a couple plays where I was like, I'm not gonna say he got lucky, but like I was like, oh, he was in the right place at the right time. His his instinct mattered a whole lot more than his his athleticism um, in a couple plays he made. Um, but yeah, that that's just kind of the the nature of playing that team. But no, I think I think we we covered a lot of it and like that rotation once Cam Hayward comes back. I mean, this defensive line is going to be a problem. <laughs> like, yeah. It needs to be. It needs to be probably yeah, the best unit in the does. league because yeah. given their secondary and what the defensive line is being paid, we've talked about that a bunch too, like it should be, but also like the secondary being such a problem is yeah. it's like, it honestly is like two totally different units right now at this point um, because their secondary to me is like worse in the league range. I mean, maybe make us mere presence keeps it from being that, but like you can't save everything as one DB in a five no. man group. Like you just can't, that's not how it works. No. Um no. And up front, like it could be in the conversation for best of the league. So it's about the greatest disparity you can get between coverage yeah. and, and pass rush, I would say right <laughs> yeah. now. Um, and so how all that plays out. Um, and then the linebackers are probably somewhere in the middle, I would say. Like, you know, so they really are kind of all over the place. It's like true, the, true. The, the, yeah. the one to three, one to five range in the D line. It's like the 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 15 to 18 range of the linebacker group, 15 to 20 range, and then the D, the DVs are literally like in the 26 to 32 range pretty yeah. much. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a rough group, no doubt. But uh, yeah, that just about covers it. I feel like at least in terms of my thoughts that I had uh, written down there, some things for people to be thinking about. Um, we'll be back later in this week to preview their next matchup coming up against Jacksonville um, to give our thoughts on kind of what that would look like, some key stats and things to be aware of as they get set to take on the Jaguars, who are in many ways the antithesis of the Steelers. I want to talk about that with, you at some point later this week, just talk about like the Jaguars and their opening script killer. The Steelers oh. and their opening script disaster. Jaguars get worse as the game goes on. Steelers get better as the game goes on. It could be a very, if those trends hold, it could be one of those big emotion swing matchups, which are all Steeler games, but not necessarily all. Great Jaguar point. That's no, a great point. <laughs> it's a very, very, yeah. yeah. That has been the story of those two teams in completely opposite directions this season. <laughs> 
It's real. It's really funny uh, that they'll yeah. be meeting at this point too. Um, so more stuff to look forward to. Can the Steelers get to five and two? We'll talk about that later in the week. Obviously, until then, appreciate y'all. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Yin's No Ball Podcast.